Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. At CNN's supposed town hall with former President Donald Trump last week, Trump threw this old chestnut at moderator Caitlin Collins. Can I talk? Yeah, what's you the mind? answer? Can I, do you mind? I would like for you to answer the okay, question. Okay, it's very simple to answer. That's why I asked it. It's very simple to You're a nasty person, I'll tell you. The bread and circuses rolled on, complete with Trump's most fervently held lie. It was a rigged election, and it's a shame that we had to go through it. It's very bad for our country. All over the world, they looked at it. The 2020 election was not rigged. In fact, the legitimacy of the election was preserved most bravely by Republican election officials in several U.S. states. And if anyone watching wondered, does Trump possess even the tiniest drop of remorse for doing nothing while his supporters attacked the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021? Well, Trump declared with pride that no, he does not. They were there with love in their heart. That was an unbelievable and it was a beautiful day. Trump also declared that should he occupy the White House once again, one of his first acts would be to pardon the rioters, who, you will recall, stormed the Capitol shouting, kill Mike Pence, and stalked congressional halls with zip ties and Confederate flags hunting down members of Congress. I am inclined to pardon many of them. I can't say for every single one, because a couple of them, probably they got out of control. I would say it will be a large portion of them. You know, they did a very... And it'll be very early on. The applause is telling. This was a live broadcast, not a true town hall in the sense that folks of any political persuasion could attend. Rather, CNN packed the audience intentionally with Trump's New Hampshire supporters. They are cheering for the pardon of January 6th rioters, some of whom have been convicted by a jury of their peers of seditious conspiracy against the United States. Donald Trump is once again a candidate for president of the United States. He is the leading Republican in the field. As such, he must be covered by the media. But the question is how to cover a serial liar who attempted to overthrow a legitimate U.S. election. Is a town hall the way to do it? Well, here's CNN's Jake Tapper commenting on his own company's broadcast right after it wrapped up. Mr. Trump's first lie was told just seconds into the night with his false familiar claim that the 2020 election was, quote, a rigged election. And the falsehoods kept coming fast and furious about the January 6th insurrection, about the threat to Vice President Pence, about Pence's ability to overturn the election, about COVID, about the economy and more. As the criticism piled on, in comes Anderson Cooper, writing to CNN's rescue the next day. The man you were so disturbed to see and hear from last night, that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. Now, 
maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. Some investigation is going to stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again. It is happening again. He hasn't changed, and he is running hard. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? If we all only listen to those we agree with, it may actually do the opposite. Mr. Cooper... It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that you just lobbed a humdinger of a false dichotomy there. Please, have some respect for your audience's intelligence. The question facing all of American media is not, do you totally ignore Trump or give him a live stage before a friendly audience to flood the zone with lies? The fact that Cooper and CNN insist on framing things that way says a lot about political journalism in this country right now. Do we not possess the intelligence and imagination to realize that there are many, many other ways to cover and report on this unique figure in American history? Yes, Donald Trump is a man who pulled in 74 million votes in 2020. Biden, by the way, got 81 million. And yes, Trump does not respect the democracy he once led and wishes to lead again. Both things are true. So how should the news media approach a candidate like that? Well, Dan Frumkin joins us. He's the editor of the media criticism website Press Watch, and he joins us from Washington. Dan, welcome to On Point. Thank you, Magna. And I must say, you set that up very, very well indeed. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people, including you, saw this coming. OK, so do you have in the week since uh, the CNN town hall in quotes, town hall happened. I mean, do you have any further explanation or insight into why <laughs> CNN went forward with the format that it did? Well, I think that uh, there's no question that this was a d an intentional move by the new, relatively new CNN president, Chris Licht, uh, to reach out to Trump, to reach out to Trump voters, to, to sort of show, to check the box, to say that he, he's really trying to be neutral about uh, about politics, which is a, a very, very unlikely place for anyone to be these days. And uh, and it was a complete failure. Uh, it was a totally predictable failure. Um, you know, his he was just quoted uh, recently saying that, you know, he thinks history will look kindly upon his decision to, uh, to give Trump a, a stage on the town hall. I think that's only the case if uh, history sh proves that that from now on, no one will ever do anything like this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm seeing reporting here uh, on CNBC uh, that they say sources are saying that um, Licht has now said that after rewatching the town hall, <laughs> right. he says now that he would like to have done certain things differently from a production standpoint, that it was right. too focused on the spectacle of Trump, not on the substance of what he says. Those are completely trivial ignitions on his part. Uh, the the thing was fundamentally flawed in every conceivable way. I mean, it was, uh, and, and I should point out that I, I think with the exception of Anderson Cooper, I don't think there's anybody at CNN who thinks it was a good idea. Uh, you, you don't show him live because he's a serial liar. Well, first of all, you don't even, you don't give, you don't treat him like a normal presidential candidate, especially, you know, the day that, a day after he was, 
you know, convicted or found found liable for the sexual assault of of E. Jean Carroll. This is this this person is a very unusual figure. He is a, a major newsmaker. He absolutely must be covered. But you you can't. But if you just treat him like a normal presidential candidate, you're glossing over a, an enormous number of shocking. Uh, scandals, just major assaults on his reputation that would kill anybody else. Uh, and, and you're just saying, those don't matter. We, what he is is a presidential candidate. We're going to treat him that way. Then they showed him live, which is a terrible mistake for uh, when you have someone who's a, a serial liar, who's a, who, who, who fires out lies faster than most people talk. Uh, you don't give him an audience, because, and you certainly don't give him an audience full of his own supporters. Mm-hmm which the CNN apparently agreed very happily to do. Uh, and you don't have only one person trying to be the moderator the, 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 and, the, and the fact checker at the same time. Yeah. So those were all incredibly obvious, predictable problems with this mm. town hall. And, bit, he, and, he, and he walked right through it. He, he, he took tremendous advantage of it. To the surprise of nobody, right? So, so yeah. a, a little bit later, we're going to talk about, so then what are the other ways, the alternatives to all the things that CNN did? Um, yes. Just quickly, though, Dan, I mean, you've said that Chris Licht should resign. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, while he was probably doing exactly what his bosses wanted him to do, um, I can't. I can't help but think he has completely lost the confidence of the CNN staff. I think that he has uh, taken the brand in a very dangerous direction. Uh, I mean, the, and the notion that the that the middle that the neutrality is a place to occupy is actually kind of hilarious. And it and it's not just him. I mean, a lot of the major major news organizations are trying to do the same thing. But there's nobody in the middle. <laughs> you know, either you you sort of. And, and you can say either you're on the left or the right, or I would put it either you're based in reality or you're not. But there's nobody who's like sort of half in reality, half not. And that's certainly not a good position for a news organization mm. to be in. So I think what he's done to CNN is, is just not sustainable on any level. Well, I think you're right about um, the edict coming from his bosses, right? Because C- CNN and its owners have pretty much declared that they they strenuously want to not seem partisan uh, in this election. So Let's just play a moment here from this is David uh, Zaslav, CEO of Warner mm-hmm. Brothers Discovery, which now owns CNN. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, he was on CNBC's Squawk Box and he was asked about the town hall, which at that point of time was uh, then coming up. And you're going to hear uh, Zaslav first and then CNBC's Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. He should be. We need to hear both voices. That's what you see. Republicans are on the air on right. CNN. Democrats are on the MSNBC. All voices should be heard on David, CNN. Suddenly, MSNBC is is a real force to be reckoned with with some of the problems that, that Fox has had. Uh, is CNN going to fill a vacuum? There are a number of advocacy networks out there. Our focus <laughs> is to be a network about the, like us. The, to facts, the best right. version of the facts, as Carl Bernstein would say. Great journalism, and not just politics either. But when we do politics, we need to represent and so both the question sides. Is, by the I way, think it's I, important I for America. So I think it's a very admirable goal for America. The question to me is a slightly different one, which is, does it rate? And maybe that's an unfair and terrible question to ask, but that underneath it is the business question. Well, look, we got a great political season coming. This is a new CNN. We're great, focused on great for who? <laughs> for the country? Well, no, in, in terms of the no, amount I know, of, I know. of news that will be coming. Some people don't like the choice. Covering. Some people don't like the choice. I'm very excited about my friend Gail. Doing the Dan Frumkin, what do you hear in that exchange? Well, 
You hear a lot of the same false dichotomy that you pointed out was in what Anderson Cooper said. Um, of course you need to hear both sides, both, both, both voices. I, I mean, that's absolutely true. And I think he's absolutely right to say so and to emphasize it. Um, there, shouldn't, there shouldn't be any censoring of, of one voice, especially if it's, uh, if it's the leading candidate of the major party. Uh, and, and they shouldn't be partisan. And by partisan, I mean holding a view that precludes you from seeing facts that you don't agree with. Mm. So, uh, but advocacy, that's a tough one. Do you advocate for the facts? I'm, I'm for that. Well, Dan Frumkin joins us today. He's editor of the media criticism website Press Watch, and we're talking about how should the media cover Donald Trump in this election season. Back with more in a moment. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And Dan Frumkin joins us. He's editor of the media criticism website Press Watch. And we're talking about how should the media cover Donald Trump. And Dan, I mean, uh, Andrew Sullivan, uh, you know, the commentator, he's commented that uh, he thinks CNN actually did America a favor by showing in his mind that that Trump is still uh, the primary threat to American democracy. Uh, Jack Schaefer over at Politico in a uh, article headlined Enough with the Bellyaching about CNN's Trump Town Hall. Schaefer wrote, the job of journalism is to confront the world and its actors as they are, not shrink away from them in fright because covering them might benefit them. And here is David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, uh, and he was recently on PBS's NewsHour. We in the media don't get to decide who we cover. Basically, the American people get to decide, and they get to decide by their votes and their by preferences in polling. And so we cover major figures. Now, there's ways to cover and ways not to cover. But in my view, it would be disastrous if we appointed ourselves the um, censors or the determiners of who gets covered in this country. And one of the reasons Donald Trump is popular because people think people in our business are arrogant. And to me, that would be an arrogant move to say, no, we're just not going to cover that guy. So, Dan, it wasn't just Anderson Cooper. I mean, a lot of people are sort of retreating back to this false dichotomy. What does that say more broadly about political journalism in the United States right now? I don't think it's a lot of people. I think it's a handful of people. A handful, okay. And I would call those, you know, three people in particular, you know, forgive me, but really really pathetic, mewling defenders of a political journalism uh, practice that has gone deeply awry. 
I, I don't think that they represent a lot of journalists. I don't think they represent a lot of young uh, and diverse journalists who are, who are really feeling like there's a, that's got to be a different way to do political reporting than what we're doing right now. But these are these uh, few people. I'm mean, point taken. I, I stand corrected. But 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 few. These few people have pretty big platforms. Yeah. No. No. They're all they're, they're, and the, the people who are committing political journalism as it stands right now have enormous platforms. Uh, I don't think there's any question. But uh, the 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 fact is that if you want to uh, address. Trump in a way that I think is journalistically defensible. You don't do it the way CNN do it. There are ways to do it, though. Mm-hmm. But do you think that um, a lot of let's let's just call it inside the Beltway political journalists um, are they still sort of confined to um, uh, the old habits of journalism that uh, would sort of require uh, treating Trump so, like a normal sure. candidate? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a lot easier to go, "Hey, here's Trump." and then quote him than it is to actually contextualize what's going on. Um, they're, they're lazy. They're, they're, they, they, tend, they tend to engage in stenography. They have very old habits which used to work, which worked back when you had two political parties that were roughly in symmetry in terms of you know, their basis in reality and, and their acknowledgement of certain things and their, for instance, that government can actually do good. Uh, and then, you know, they had very, very different views. But at that, when you had that sort of a symmetrical situation, you could do good journalism by saying, here's what these people say and here's what these people say. But now that things are so asymmetrical, now that, and, and not just, certainly between the parties, but especially, you know, between anybody and Trump, uh, you can't just do that. You can't just say, hey, look, listen to him. And you certainly can't say, hey, listen to him when he's being cheered on by a bunch of, of wackos. Excuse hmm. me. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm going to keep my focus on uh, on the media companies here. Um, but I, I also see, um, so, you know, like a, a, f- a certain set of uh, very important incentives for the corporate media, uh, corporate political media that have not Changed, right? And in a sense, that CNBC clip sort of hinted at it when, uh, when um, the head of uh, Discovery Warner was asked, you know, mm-hmm. does it rate? Um, and so, you know, here is uh, a blast from the past. This is 2016. Former, uh, well, now former CBS chairman Les Moonves uh, was talking about then uh, Trump's presidential bid and how it was good for his network's finances. He was at uh, the Morgan Stanley Technology Media and Telecom Conference in February of 2016. Who would have thought that this circus would come to town? But, um, you know, it may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. That's all I got to say. I mean, it doesn't seem like that much has changed, Dan, because we just I just quoted Chris Licht in him saying, well, you know, after rewatching it again, I might have changed a little thing or two here about uh, the production of it. So, I mean, are the incentives mm-hmm. for for ratings and clicks and profit still the driving ones? Yes, to a large degree. I mean, Trump sells. There's no question. I mean, there was uh, Trump is a. Uh, is a magnet for eyeballs on the internet uh, and on television. Um, people can't take their eyes off him. Uh, it's uh, it's you know the train wreck situation now. But the the he he is. I mean, it's not a coincidence that this man's background was in reality TV. He is an extremely extremely gifted man when it comes to capturing the camera's attention. Um, you know, the New York Times TV critic uh, James 
Pani Wozik wrote a fabulous book just about how his relationship with the media and how how compelling a subject he is. So it's not just pure profit motives. It's also, it's hard to take your eyes off that guy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about, um, you you listed specifically, okay, what should the media, what should political journalism not do in covering Trump again? So let's talk about what you think the affirmative act, the, the practices might be. I mean, first of all, it's not really possible, I would say, in real time to keep up with the amount of lies, right? That, that, that is an essential point. So yeah. what, what to do in that, with, that tr- with that situation? Right. Well, obviously, I have some thoughts about that. Um, I mean, there is, first of all, I should say there, is no, there will, is no really successful way to interview him. Um, there will never be a Perry Mason moment in an interview with Donald Trump. <laughs> so uh, what you need to do is precisely what he, what he doesn't experience right now. He needs to be firmly and seriously confronted with the facts that he denies and asked to explain why he denies them. Uh, he needs to, uh, he, we need to ask him questions about not just what he feels about something, but what was going through his head when certain things happened. So, for instance, one question before the debate that I thought would be good was, you know, what was on your mind that day as you refused requests from your staff to tell the Capitol rioters to go home? Were you happy? Were you sad? I mean, that's a question that goes to his state of mind, which I think is really important. What were you doing for more than three hours that afternoon instead of telling rioters to leave the Capitol? Mm. Well, actually, on Who that did you po- speak to? On that Those point. Are, well, that, so that kind of question is what I think is, is really valuable. Yeah. Can um, I just jump in here? Because on that point, um, there was a moment where a, a CNN's moderator, Caitlin Collins, may have gotten close to the kind of question you're talking about. Because she asked him, and we've got the tape here. Um, why Trump took three hours on January 6th to issue any sort of public reaction as rioters breached the U.S. Capitol. When they went to the Capitol and they were breaking into the Capitol, smashing windows, injuring police officers, why did you, why did it take you three hours to tell them to go home? I don't believe it did. So, I mean, Dan, she asked the question and Trump just lies and says, I don't believe it did, where in fact it did. So what good did asking that kind of question do? Well, it's a perfect, it was a good question. And Caitlin Collins asked some very good questions and even did some some follow-up, but the format did not allow her to say, stop, to slow things down uh-huh. and say, okay, wait a minute. Uh, yes, you did spend three hours there. Let me read you this. Let me show you this. Let me put you this, let me put this up on the screen. You know, let me, let me quote the testimony from 16 different people. You've got to slow things down with Trump. Um, you, you, she also did a good job of pointing out when he didn't answer the question, but then she didn't have the time to say, okay, now answer the question. She did go back several times on basically giving him the chance to, to, to admit that he lost the election. But again, there's not going to be a Perry Mason moment. He's not going to do that. Yeah. The, 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 the secret, not the secret, but the essential fact here is to get him out of the bubble where he can say anything he wants and people just move right on. So, so if I had, you know, if, if, if I were advising somebody on how to interview Trump, I would say, first of all, you can't agree to a strict time limit because then he'll filibuster. Mm-hmm. You, and then you sit down without an audience in dead silence, you know, and, you, and when he says something that is bogus, you stop him right there. 
and you and you ask him why he's saying that. When does he is he is he does he really believe it or is he delusional? You know, you confront him with facts. It's a, and and you have maybe three people whispering facts into your ear because it's not enough just to have one person fact checking right. at a time. Nobody could possibly do that. I mean, there's a reason why you know Harold Hill, the music man, talks so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in a sense, what you're describing, uh, we have seen a couple times in the past, right? I mean, Chris mm-hmm. Wallace did an interview like this, uh, John, Jonathan Swan, a couple of others. And it did yield a different kind of experience of, of watching Trump and learning how he thinks. But, I mean, this is, there's still the access game always in Washington. I mean, uh, they, the, the networks and cable channels take the risk that Trump is just never going to agree to such interviews this time around. Are they Absolutely. willing to take that risk? Absolutely no, and 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 so far the the what we're hearing the result from the, the town hall is not everybody saying let's not do that. It's it's we would like to do it too. <laughs> I mean, I, my sense is he's getting you know requests from everybody right now, Ugh. and and they all exceed to his demand. In fact, this this brand new, very bizarre, clickbait startup called the Messenger, uh, which launched a couple days ago, they got a thirty minute interview with Trump. And it was a, and I don't know whether they agreed to it or not, but it was a complete softball interview. It was absolutely pathetic. Mm. And that was a sit-down interview, not live. So, th- so they had lots of advantages there, but they were trying to make desperately trying to make news in thirty minutes. So they kept on just peppering him with silly uh, questions. Hmm. But so you talked about having um, a lot of like a whole staff of fact checkers ta- whispering into the interviewer's ear. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm going to argue that uh, I still don't think corporate media is, is built to uh, to do that kind of thing. But haven't you also had a critique of just the entire notion of uh, of fact checking uh, around Trump? <laughs> well, yes and no. I think that 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 simply doing a fact check three days later, you know, that you bury somewhere saying, oh, gosh, he was wrong about this. I think that is is anachronistic and silly. I think fact checking in the moment, as in correcting the record in the moment, is essential. And in fact, that's I feel like, A, uh, the fact check should be immediate and, and, and in the main story. And B, the sometimes the story should be about about the lying, about about the fact that not about what he said, but the fact he's lying when he says this. And why is he lying? The why behind the lie is something that fact checks never get to. Mm. The, you know, the sort of the, the ones that are done by the fact checkers. Uh, but that's essential. So the lead article ought to be, he went on TV, he lied about this. Here's why he's lying about this. Even if during in the moment... Uh, the fact-checking, the real-time fact-checking on Trump produces a kind of conflict that Trump thrives on? I mean, right, because the the, the sort of uh, name-calling and parrying and the theatrics Mm -hmm. of that is, I Mm -hmm. mean, Trump is excellent at that, and people love seeing that. So take that risk even if he could actually potentially benefit from it. No, I think you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very pessimistic that any of this will actually happen and that would work, it would work. But, you know, a, a guy can dream. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dan, you know what? I mean, obviously, uh, I'm here hosting this show also as a member of the media, though I'm not a, you know, a Beltway political reporter. So God bless you. Do, yeah. do, you, do you mind if I, I take advantage of your, um, you know, your profession as being a media critic and ask you to sort of turn your lens on? On us for a couple of minutes okay okay because uh, we are going to do a lot of political coverage here so so first of all um, how would you describe 
you know, public radio in general and its briefly and its and its political coverage thus far? Uh, I think it's sometimes terrific and sometimes so terrified that it doesn't state the obvious because it's afraid of being called liberal. Uh, I think that, you know, because of the inaccurate perception that that it's government funded, uh, it, it's particularly sensitive to accusations of being partisan. And, and what it hasn't done, unfortunately, is say, look, we're not partisan. We're not for one party or another, but we do support the truth. And we're going to sometimes be calling it out. Mm. Uh, and and at this point, things are kind of asymmetrical. And we're sorry, but that's not our problem. Okay. Well, what I want to do is walk you through sort of a, a list of um, of ideas that will describe my approach in, in this election yeah. cycle. And I want you to give me your responses to it, you know, quickly, because <laughs> I got a bullet point list here. Don't pull your okay. punches, Dan, seriously, because we have okay. to be honest about ourselves here. So first of all, I approach this election cycle with the with the assertion that no living journalist or American has really experienced uh, a moment or figure like Donald Trump in, you know, t- Trump version 2023. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. So between then I look at at, at the last election uh, and the and Trump's first pres, uh, uh, excuse me, his first administration, and I say between 2016 and 2020, there was an argument, a strong argument to be made that when you're talking about policies of the Trump administration, a traditional form of journalism is was warranted, right? Looking at what he did, looking at uh, different sides of uh, you know policy battles, et cetera. Fair enough for for the past. No, because okay. I don't think there were Trump policies. There were Trump, uh, you know, ex, there were Trump exclamations. There were Trump random decisions. I mean, to the extent that 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 if you're talking about what the government did under Trump, yes, absolutely. But if you're trying to suggest there were Trump policies that were formed in a, any kind of normal normal way, that would be that would be inaccurate. That would be. Decept- deceiving the public. Okay. Well, I mean, I would disagree with you on that because I think he did have poli- some policies, but I take your point. Okay. But what I want to ask you now is here's my view on this moment and how I'm thinking about guiding this show because mm-hmm. now we're post 2020 and post 2021. And we know specifically that Donald Trump continues to deny, to deny the validity of the 2020 election. And he also took sp- multiple actions to overturn it. He's knowingly undermining the faith in democratic institutions that he doesn't believe in. And in addition, there are those very particular actions of January 6th where he did not do a single thing except send a tweet later and do a video to use the power of the presidency to protect the Capitol building and the people inside of it. So Margaret Sullivan puts it this way. You know her well. She says Donald Trump is running against democracy. Is that a legitimate lens through which to view the 2024 presidential election or is it partisan, Dan? I think it's what we ha- what what any reasonable journalist has to conclude. I mean, think back to yourself 10 years ago. And let's say someone had said, so let's imagine that a president of the United States uh, loses the election and then tries to win, tries to take over the presidency anyway. Would that person be a reasonable candidate going forward? The answer would be no. And the answer would be, needs to be sustained outrage about this man. Uh, And journalism is very uh, uneager to do that. Mm. Okay, 
Well, I still want you to uh, give me your honest opinion about how we should be covering uh, Trump, including this show. When we come back, though, we're going to talk um, with a local public radio station that made some very brave decisions uh, a couple of years ago and see how that uh, has paid off or not for them. So back in a moment. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and Dan Frumkin is with us. He's editor of the media criticism website Press Watch. Uh, and Dan, I don't want to stop just yet in being uh, rigorous and and analyzing what our approach is going to be. So really, don't pull your punches. I'm serious because I think the way um, politics uh, and um, the United States is right now, when I say that. Um, if I'm partisan towards anything, I'm partisan in favor of American democracy. And that's how I'd like to guide On Point's political coverage. Small d democracy here. Um, I still come, what still comes to mind are, you know, certain things that uh, CNN has said or other uh, other media folks that, that say, well, you know, um, in order to have coverage that uh, reaches voters of all stripes – including um, Americans who, su- who support Donald Trump, even saying that our political coverage is going to be in defense of democracy, that that is partisan and that is yeah. biased. Uh, and that's how people would hear it. What do you think? Right. Well, I mean, I think the notion that you can be neutral on democracy and that, that you want to brag about it is kind of bizarre. And and what did happen in some places, including the Washington Post and the New York Times, uh, you know, during the last year of the election, was they launched these democracy teams where they said, yes, we are, in fact, pro-democracy. We are going to be covering attacks on democracy. But even then, in the announcements, they refused to say, and really they're coming primarily from Republicans. Um, and uh, and the coverage turned out to be okay, but was undermined by the constant daily normalized coverage of of the uh, of the political 
campaign journalists. I think you're, the first point you made is really essential to remind people that nobody has ever seen anything like this before. That that that, that nobody in this country has ever actually. I mean, I I'd never thought we were, our democracy would be in danger in my lifetime. Mm. But it is. And so everything needs to be reexamined and your fundamental and you need to rethink, Okay, I went into journalism because of X. Things are now like this. How does X apply to that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. well, I'll uh, I'll fill in those blanks. Um, I went into journalism because I absolutely love this country and I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. by its people and its problems and its potential. Uh, and you want to make the country better to the extent that you can as a journalist. Yeah. I want to learn yeah. about it and talk about what yeah. we learn. And we are learning right now that our democracy is in danger. That's what I, that's my approach. Um, yep. Okay. So, Dan, here's the thing. I'm sorry I can't t- attack you for that. I think it's actually <laughs> just, just exactly right. It's sorry. not that often that I just open myself up for criticism on my own show. Come on. You should take an o- yeah. opportunity for it. Um, but here, listen, the truth is, is that getting back to Trump himself Hardly any journalism organization is actually going to get to directly interview him. So it's mm-hmm. not just Trump that's at the at issue. It's Trumpism more broadly uh, and sort of the weakness of American democracy as a whole. And when we think about that, I want to talk about what the uh, public radio station WITF in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, decided to do a couple of years ago. And here is an example. This is what they say uh, or decided to say uh, after every story that featured a Pennsylvania um, legislator who um, was an election denier. And here's this example. As part of our election 2020 accountability policy, we note Congressman Perry is among the 136 members of Congress who voted to object to Pennsylvania's certified 2020 election result, despite no evidence that would call it into question. Now, that's Tim Lambert. He's special projects editor at WITF. And in that little outcue, as we call it, he's talking about Republican Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry. And Tim Lambert joins us now. Tim, welcome to On Point. Hello, Magna. Thank you very much for the invite today. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the thinking behind the decision that WITF took to um, to publicly and clearly identify every legislator that they talked that you talked about um, that denied the election as such? Yeah, it was a very long process, a very hard thinking process because we were going outside, as you've talked about on the show today, the journalism norms, right? So, um, you know, we had been dealing with uh, then-President Donald Trump talking about how the election was stolen almost from the minute that the election was over. I mean, that morning at 1.30 or 2 a.m., he declared the election over while votes were still being counted. Uh, and from then, from there, there were court cases and uh, rallies and more misinformation and disinformation, which all culminated in the January 6th attack. And I think it was the attack on the Capitol that, you know, kind of shook all of us to to the core as to how this could happen under our watch as journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had the discussion on what could we do, and um, we realized that there were a lot of lawmakers on the state and federal level in Pennsylvania that um, took action that, um, you know, either fed into the election lie or just uh, took action that they said the vote uh, shouldn't have been certified. So we decided that we wanted to put in place an accountability policy. Yeah. So and it's 
even more uh, interesting to me that this was taking place in Pennsylvania, right? Important swing state, a place where a lot of those uh, court cases that you're talking about were filed. Did you get any blowback from from listeners about about this? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we knew uh, we are in a Republican majority area in central Pennsylvania. Uh, so we knew that this was not going to sit well with some of them. Um, but we also did receive a lot of support as well from from listeners and readers who uh, kind of cheered us on to take this stand. So I think, you know, we balanced what we wanted to do and what we hope to accomplish. And, I, and, and again, like you've talked about on the show, democracy uh, and the facts. And, and those are two things that we sort of planted our flag in. Okay. But can you tell me in a little bit more detail, what did you hope to accomplish? Was it just, you know, because you did this in terms of identifying the the legislators who had uh, voted against a certification of the election every single time you talked about them, right? Uh, for a while uh, on yes. the air on WITF. So was it just a, were some of the goals to remind listeners that this is what had happened or, or, or what? I think mainly it was to consistently present the facts that revealed um, the actions these lawmakers took to um, kind of embolden this election lie. And we had hoped that it would play a part in diminishing the power of that lie over those who believed it and supported it. Um, Whether that happened or not, I'm not sure. But I mean, we did have an important um, midterm election uh, last November, and we wanted to at least keep this policy in place through that. Uh, and and um, just remind people who they were voting for. Again, they make their own decisions. We're not here to preach to them. We were just presenting the facts to them. Um, and we saw, you know, Congressman Perry, who we mentioned earlier, he won re-election handily mm-hmm. uh, in central Pennsylvania. Uh, we did have uh, State Senator Doug Mastriano, who is the Republican uh, candidate for governor, um, and he was defeated soundly uh, in the race. And again, he was someone who was a big proponent of that election lie. Okay. So, Dan, first of all, what do you think about the decision that uh, WITF made in 2021? Well, I think it's 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 awful that you don't uh, give your guests an applause button because I would have pushed it about a, a twenty <laughs> times during what Tim said. I think it, it's a central it's a central thing to do is to point out when people have basically voted uh, to dissent, you know, to destroy your democracy. And I congratulate Tim. I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I think it's done in a very uh, effective way. Uh, you know, I think that. Uh, when you have an election denier uh, speaking, you need to identify them as an election denier. That's that's crucial. I mean, I, I know there was a really amazing moment at, at, when they came out of the town hall and and went to to Jake Tapper in the CNN newsroom, and he looked so sad because this is a guy who had said, "I'll never have anybody any election denier on live on my show," and then they 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 had Trump on live denying it like crazy. No, I think I think I think that alone is a perfectly important, perfectly reasonable and important thing to point out. Mm. Now, also, Tim said something really interesting about using the uh, the constant repetition of the facts uh, about uh, the legislators who had voted against certifying the 2020 election mm-hmm. um, as a tool that would hopefully diminish the power of the lie of the rigged election. Right. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's essential. I think repetition is the secret to to why lies spread and is the only answer we have to them. I mean, I remember I covered, uh, you know, the George W. Bush administration and 
at the point when uh, you know, they, he and Cheney said so many indicate, you know, implied so many times that Saddam was behind 9/11 that 70% of Americans believed it, and to me that was a huge wake-up moment for journalism to say, wait, when a lie is repeated that much, we have to do more than just refute it once. We have to state over and over and over again that it's not true. Hmm. Tim, so what's the status of? Uh you know, of this decision, are you still going to um, identify folks this way when you talk about them? Yeah, we're scaling it back a little bit to um, just uh, mention the accountability policy when it comes to stories about the election, um, stories about the voting process and things like that. So it won't be in every single story um, that a lawmaker is quoted or we use a soundbite from. So we are scaling it back just a little bit. But you can also put it in the context of the of the interview as you as you described the interview as well. Correct. Yes. Mm, Yeah. And and just, I mean, as part of the context, too, when we talk about, say, cases involving January 6th um, attackers, people who've been charged in that, one of the things we always add the context to is that their cases um, involved an attempt to stop the certification of a free and fair election and allow a candidate who lost to remain in power. And when I hear January 6th stories of some of these folks who've been charged, that context is never mentioned. <laughs> and that's kind of important, don't you think? I mean, it was and the number of Pennsylvanians charged in connection to that attack is second or third in the country, depending on the day. So to add that context, I think, is, is just vital for people to truly understand what happened. Right. So, Dan, go ahead and respond to that. I would hit the applause button again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's perfect. I think it's exactly right. Maybe we should have had someone on who said, this is all just bias. Um, I'm sure you could find someone. (laughs) I'm sure they're there, trust me. Okay, so again, I want to just... reiterate that it's not just Donald Trump when we're talking about, like, how should the media cover uh, this election cycle? It's it's sort of the state of American democracy as a whole. Okay, and so with that in mind, here's a a recent moment, an utterance from Republican U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville. Uh, of Alabama. Um, He was on Newsmax, the very, very conservative outlet, um, on Tuesday of this week, and he was reacting uh, to the Durham report, right, uh, about the FBI. Uh, And here's what Senator Tuberville said. If people don't go to jail for this, American people should just stand up and say, listen, enough's enough. Let's don't have elections anymore. I wish there was a special investigation into the voter fraud because it was outrageous what happened. But nobody wanted to look into it because they were afraid they were going to be called out. And so it is what it is. Uh, I I hate that it's happened. So, Dan, when um, we've reached the point where a United States senator uh, is willing to say, hey, look, if uh, people don't go to jail, Americans should just say, let's not have elections anymore. In that moment, what should a reporter or interviewer do? Well, <clears throat> Tommy Tuberville is a perfect example of somebody they should really probably ignore because he is a complete loon. But 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 there are people like Ron DeSantis who are, uh, you know, plausible presidential contenders, especially if Trump, you know, somehow uh, crashes, uh, who are who are taking very very strong anti-voting measures, who are as dangerous or more dangerous than Trump. Um, so the, uh, when it when it comes to democracy, so I think that 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 you're right to focus on the issue of democracy rather than just the Trump issue. Okay, hey Tim, I was wondering if you had some some thoughts about that. On Tuberville, um, yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the most important things to come out of that would have been. 
um, you know, that the president tried to reach him on January 6th. I think mm-hmm. he misdialed and called somebody else. So, you know, follow up with why was the president trying to call you on January 6th? Okay. <laughs> Just a simple question. But I also think that to hear a U.S. senator say maybe the people should rise up and do away with elections, I mean, if that isn't a red flashing light to journalists that, you know, you need to push back on some of this stuff and stand by what the facts actually are, then I'm not sure that yeah, I'm not sure what they're doing, to mm. be honest. Mm. <laughs> well, we've got a comment here on Facebook from Terry, who says what you say about Trump is true, but there's plenty to criticize Biden about, including his... Terry says obvious dementia and how he won't sit for a hard hitting interview. Thoughts, Dan? <laughs> um, I I do think Biden should sit for a, a a sit down for a serious contentious interview. I think that if I were his chief of staff, I would say, hey, let's avoid it if we can, because who knows what might happen. I don't think it would be a, a dementia, but I think that the guy the guy does make gaffes. Uh, but no, I think I think there's nothing that any of us are saying suggests that there shouldn't be the utmost scrutiny of of Joe Biden and Democrats, and uh, and I think it, I think that he avoids questions, and I think that is a problem. Well, you know, um, Dan, a little bit earlier in the show, uh, you talked about how. Uh, it seems as if perhaps lessons have not been learned from CNN's Trump town hall because uh, there's a talk about similar events happening on other networks or cable mm-hmm. channels. So what do you feel is at risk if, um, you know, moments broadcasts like that continue to happen, if, you know, he gets these live opportunities uh, before friendly audiences um, as the election season wears on? Well, we've seen, you know, the toxic effect of the repetition of lies. Uh, We thought we had kind of learned from 2016 not to just point a microphone at the guy and let him go on for hours and hours. Um, I think that the the free airtime that that the CNN and the other networks gave Trump was responsible for a very, you know, unfortunate chapter in our history. And... uh, I think we've got to stop letting people repeat lies on our news shows. Mm. Tim, we've got a few seconds left, and I want to just clarify something. You know, I think a lot of media outlets uh, are nervous to make changes in how they cover Trump because they feel like they have something to lose. In the changes that you made, do you feel as if WITF lost anything? I don't. Uh, I, I think that um, we're able to look at ourselves in the mirror every day and, and know that we are doing our best to uh, stand up for the facts and stand up for democracy. So, no, I, and I think that, um, you know, if anything, this has raised the issue of how we can approach things in a different way as a field. Yeah, and you're still here and still broadcasting. Um, I'm still of, talking to you. At a WITF in Harrisburg, <laughs> Pennsylvania. So, Tim Lambert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Much appreciated. And Dan Frumkin, editor at the media criticism website Press Watch. Dan, it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. And it's PressWatchers.org. It's press Watchers? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, press, it's called Press Watch, but the URL is Press Watchers. Okay. This is on point.